You're listening to the Viva La Mami podcast, a podcast about all things motherhood. I'm your host, Jessica Cuevas. I am a mother of one on a mission to redefine the meaning of motherhood as a first-generation, bilingual, and bicultural Latina mommy. Regardless if we feel like a failure from time to time, or if we succeeded with the little things in our motherhood journey, it is important to celebrate all of these experiences as madres. So bring your cafecito as I invite you to be a part of this space and create raw and honest conversations about the exciting and challenging parts of being a mommy. Ahora, vámonos. Hola, hola, amiga. Today, we have Liliana Diaz-Vasquez with us. And in this interview, we talk about the benefits of speech therapy and common misconceptions among the Latinx community. And she shares her expertise as a practicing speech language pathologist, as well as what inspired her to create her business. Liliana is a certified licensed bilingual speech language pathologist, or an SLP, currently practicing in Chicago, Illinois. She has extensive experience working with the bilingual population. Liliana specializes in pediatrics and predominantly works with bilingual English-Spanish-speaking children in the school setting. Her areas of expertise include augmentative alternative communication, or AAC, bilingual language development, and language delays disorders in bilingual and multilingual children. Liliana is also owner of Bilingual Speechy, a speech therapy business dedicated to providing inclusive and engaging resources and activities for bilingual children, parents, and SLPs. Now, let's get into the interview with Liliana Diaz-Vasquez. We have Liliana Diaz-Vasquez here with us. I'm really excited to have her here. Um, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk on your podcast. I'm excited. Yes, thank you. Yes, we go way back. We met in high school through an orchestra and I've seen you flourish and grow within your profession and also your business, but now as a mom. So thank congratulations. You. Thank um, you and congrats to you too. Gracias, gracias. Because <laughs> I know our little ones are like close to age. They are, yeah, our little <laughs> pandemic babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Liliana, if you can tell me a little bit more about yourself and what is it that you do? Okay, so yeah, I'm a, my name is Liliana Diaz Vasquez, and I am a bilingual speech language pathologist. I work with children who have a variety of communication disorders, primarily in the school setting. So as of right now, I currently work full time in a predominantly Latinx neighborhood here in Chicago at one school. And I work with students pre-K through eighth, although the majority of my students are pre-K through second or third grade, I would say. And these are students that have a variety of communication disorders like language delays, children on the spectrum, children with syndromes who may have difficulty communicating or may have delays with their communication abilities. So yeah, that's what I do full-time. Other than that, I am also a full-time mom. I also run my business, Bilingual Speechy, which is really focused on creating activities and materials and resources for educators, speech language pathologists, and parents is my other business that I do. 
Yeah, yeah. And that has flourished. I mean, since the time yeah. I've met you. So congratulations. It's, it's phenomenal. And it's telling that there is a need with regards to communication disorders, but also like you have been very instrumental in providing parents with guides and resources so that they can implement those things at, at home. And we'll definitely touch base on that. But I first wanted to kind of get a better idea of what really inspired you to become a speech language pathologist. If you can give us a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So I didn't know I wanted to be a speech therapist in, in the beginning. I, I was actually at UIC studying psychology as a freshman and undergrad. And I took courses for my major and I just really wasn't feeling like that's what I wanted to do. And my mom was actually the one who told me about the field and she told me to look into it because my youngest sister, who's, I mean, she's older now, but like when she was younger, she got speech therapy when she was just like, I want to say like three or four years old. So my mom kind of went through that whole process with her and just like in the school setting, how she was also getting services there. And so she saw like all of the progress, progress that my sister made. And she just thought it was like a wonderful career that she would tell me all the time, you get to work with children, you get to play with them. It looks so fun and rewarding. You should look into it. So I did, I um, did my research. And unfortunately, at the time, there wasn't that much information out there on speech language pathology. So I really had to do my own digging. And part of it kind of required me interviewing my younger sister's former speech language pathologist. So I had actually had to go to like her elementary school and see if I could talk to that person just to see like where she went to school, what did she study, like how did she get there? And yeah, and I ended up doing that. And then I ended up applying to St. Xavier University. Mm -hmm. um, so I transferred from UIC to SXU and I ended up finishing my undergrad there. And then I did my graduate school there too. And, and yeah, that's how I ended up being an SLP. But I, I just think that like, it, it just, it was like a lot of work to kind of get to where I was or where I am now, but I'm, I'm really happy and I'm really thankful that my mom kind of put, encouraged me or just kind of pushed me to look into this career. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, it's, it's telling how our mothers influence us, right, in our day-to-day -day lives and even how that can even make an impact to our career trajectory trajectory as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm glad that she kind of planted that seed for you. And then you mm -hmm. did it on your own. And you researched you networked. And yeah, that is great. And so as far as with speech therapy within the Latinx community, what are the common misconceptions about that as far as with seeking therapy? Because as you mentioned, it's sort of a new field it's been around but when it comes to the latinx community or the bilingual community nothing much is out there so i'm sure that this is what really inspired me to to reach out to you about that and and how we can kind of start that conversation especially with mothers who perhaps are kind of in the they're kind of in that verge of like okay should i take my child to speech therapy mm -hmm. or how does that look like yeah, I would say that some of the common misconceptions that I've heard like throughout the years, and this is my ninth year working as an SLP, but one of like the main ones I would say is like that sometimes you'll get families or outsiders 
that may hear a parent or their parents' concerns and, they, and that their child's not quite talking quite yet or that their child's not quite saying as many words. And something that's commonly said a lot, I, I would say, is that you should just wait and see. I, I've heard it before, like not only in like with family members that I just had conversations with, but like with the families that I've also worked with that oftentimes they'll seek out services kind of late. And then when I'm like asking them, like, why are they just barely seeking services now? Just to kind of get an understanding. A lot of the times it's, it's that like, they'll say, oh, well, my pediatrician had said that my child will just grow out of it. Or, or I heard that maybe I should just like wait and see if like, if my child will just eventually catch up. And research suggests that about 50 to 70% of children who have just delays with their communication skills, and we're just talking like delays, there's nothing else going on. It's just a straightforward communication delay. There's no other underlying factors that may influence this. A lot of times research, research does say that Children sometimes with those with that type of delay will recover. However, there's still that percentage that like 20% of children that might not and it can have like long term negative effects or impacts on their later development. And that could be like academically, linguistically. So I, I just really stress all the time to parents that if you have concerns or if something doesn't quite feel right, or mm-hmm. you, you just have a feeling that, you know what, like maybe this isn't normal, then definitely seek out a speech language pathologist, get your child evaluated because you just, you never know. Like, and then I think the benefits of just starting early, there, there's so many benefits to it. And then if you're, if your child just truly just has like a delay, maybe it just needs support. You, they could eventually just catch up pretty fast with like mm-hmm. the services and supports needed. So I would definitely say that's one of the biggest things I've heard is just the wait and see, but mm-hmm. uh, you you just, you don't want to follow that kind of belief. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And one of my questions kind of following that is like, what are some of the common signs? Like I have a 20 month old, he is very communicative. He picks up on words, right? But like, is there a certain time in their development where then you're like, okay, maybe I should seek therapy or speech therapy, Mm -hmm. right? So based on your experience, like what are the most common signs so that parents can kind of pick up on that? There are general developmental milestones. And and I mean like general because like every child Mm -hmm. develops on their own, but these are sometimes used just as a reference or as a guide for development in general. And then there's also milestones for communication as well. So uh, typically, like, let's say by one or 12 of of age, according to developmental milestones for communication, expressively, your child might have about like anywhere from like six to seven words around that 12 month mark. Once again, this is just like a general guideline. Every child is different, but these guidelines can sometimes help us. So like, let's say if your child is like 12 months, for example, and hasn't said any words, then that can kind of spark that like concern where you might kind of start wondering, okay, maybe I need to seek out services. Same thing for like, let's say 24 months, we would typically expect the child expressively to start combining two words together by 24 months of age. And then by three years old, they're like speaking like simple sentences. By four-year-olds, it's like complete 
you know, full sentences. So like, these are just kind of like mild general guidelines that can kind of help us. It doesn't mean that every child's going to fit perfectly into those guidelines. Like there are lots of variations uh, across all children, but I think it's, it's helpful, you know, so that that way parents can have an idea of like what to expect. Um, and then of course you can always ask for these kinds of like milestone charts and information at your pediatrician's office. Actually, like for example, today I, I took my son to the pediatrician and I think part of the routine is they always hand us these like milestone in infographics that they, they like kind of always share. So that's really helpful. So maybe you can always ask like your pediatrician for information on that. But typically those are kind of like signs. So like if your child is, let's say 20 months, and is not yet saying any word, then that can definitely be kind of like a red flag and, and something to like look into. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important to understand childhood development, you know, and really kind of assess where your child is at. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so thank you for sharing. Now, when it comes to raising bilingual children, right? And as far as with their language acquisition and their development, is there a preference as far as with what language they should be at this kind of stage based off of their age? Because I know that oftentimes parents, they they worry if their child knows more Spanish than English when English may be taught more later on in their life, right? And so mm -hmm. is there kind of misconceptions even within that, right? That, oh, my child should know more English by this age than mm -hmm. Spanish or vice versa? I think that, I mean, it, it totally just depends on like the child and the bilingual dynamic that's at home because mm -hmm. you'll have families that maybe are focusing on one language at home and maybe that child only knows, let's say for example, Spanish. It, it, it's not like a set in stone like thing where I can say, oh yeah, by this age, he should know more English or more Spanish because mm -hmm. every family is so different and, and also too like different on what their goals are when they are raising their child. And the exposure is also different too. So it's, it's kind of hard to answer that because mm -hmm. like I said, that doesn't really exist where you can say by this age, the child should know this much English. Yeah. Cause it just depends. Like on your environment where you live and what kind of exposure you're providing and how many times like the child's hearing the other language versus English. And it's, it's totally different for every family. Yeah. yeah so just in general, right? Like for whether if it's English or Spanish, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of assessing the child, making sure that by this age they have, they have picked up on X amount of words regardless in which yeah, language. Yeah, so, so like if you're referring to communication milestones for bilingual children, like how many words they should have, is that what you were kind of mm -hmm. going towards? Yeah. So communication milestones are the same across all languages mm -hmm. when it comes to just general development of how communication evolves over time. So we would still follow those general guidelines, like by one, like six to seven words, by two, like two word utterances, by three sentences that still kind of goes the same. And then the only difference is now you're accounting for both languages. So if you're counting vocabulary, so let's go back to like that example with the 12 month old, 
if I'm saying, okay, by 12 months, your child should have around six to seven words or six to 10 words, you, you have to take into consideration both languages. So you would count the vocabulary in, let's say, Spanish and English and use that as the sum to, to say how many words your child has. Mm. Wow, so you, now you're just, you're, you have to take into consideration both languages and just kind of take them as the grand total. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for sharing that because that can be a little confusing, right? For bilingual mm -hmm. families. And yeah. And so that was one of the big questions that I had mm -hmm. to see, okay, basically my child knows both languages, right? And how should mm -hmm. I kind of assess where they're at and, and whether if I should decide in them seeking speech therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, because you do focus on a specific population, what makes a bilingual SLP different from a monolingual SLP? Definitely the training that goes into what we do on an everyday basis and how we work with the, the populations that we work with. So it has, over the years, taken me lots of coursework, mm -hmm. lots of experience with working with the families and students that I work with to just get to this point to say that I'm a bilingual SLP. It's not just a matter of speaking the language, but it's also a matter of understanding the complexity of the language, the linguistics of the language, the morphology, the syntax, the phonology of the language, and being able to assess, diagnose, and treat students who speak that language as well too. So it encompasses a lot, whereas like a monolingual SLP might just work with, let's say, English speakers, but they also too have to know how to work with diverse bilingual and multilingual populations as well, just because our where we live, it's just really diverse. Mm -hmm. So everyone kind of has to know how to work with these populations, but a bilingual SLP specifically works in that language. Gotcha. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as far as with seeking therapy, is there kind of like a resource or database to seek bilingual SLPs? I wouldn't say necessarily a database, but I like if you're interested in receiving services, I would definitely start by maybe bringing it up to like your pediatrician because mm -hmm. a lot of times they might have resources where they could provide you. I know a lot of times families uh, may just Google like their local clinics, speech therapy clinics or speech therapy providers. I mean, that's always an option too, but a lot of families don't really, I would say from my experience, know that. So you can always Google. Google's a great tool, but you can always mention it to your pediatrician and ask for like a referral. And then here in Chicago, we have like early intervention. We, you can like Google early intervention providers. And then same thing, a lot of times you still need referrals from the pediatrician to go through that. But if you have a little one and you're concerned, your little one can receive services through that program that we have in the state. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I'm sure that this is such insightful information just so that families know where to start if in case mm -hmm. they have been considering it. So that validates them to decide, oh, okay, maybe my child should go to speech therapy. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to shift gears just a little bit to kind of talk about bilingual speechy. So now that mm -hmm. you have this expertise and, and professional background, what inspired you to create bilingual speechy? Oh, wow. So it was a long time ago, <laughs> like <laughs> nine years ago. Can take um, me back. <laughs> so I was a newbie fresh out of grad school. 
And at the time I knew that I wanted to work with the bilingual English Spanish speaking population. And I wanted to work in the school setting. That's what my focus was because as an SLP, you, you can work in a variety of settings. You can work in like hospital, private practice and clinics, but I knew I wanted to work with the Latinx community, but specifically like the English Spanish speaking community. So I was lucky to have gotten placed at two schools in the back of the arts neighborhood, where I would say like 90% of my caseload spoke Spanish or were exposed to Spanish. And so I started working with all of these students and families, and I just came across the huge dilemma of not having resources. And by resources, I mean like therapeutic materials, like I didn't have activities, I didn't have visuals, I didn't have activities to use with them in therapy, or even like resources to give to parents, like advice on how they can help their child with their communication skills at home. Like if I could just have like a pamphlet that I could give them that they could take home or something to read. And you'll find these things in English, but there was nothing in Spanish mm. at the time. So I had a caseload of over 65 students and all whom needed bilingual support and had diverse communication needs. And I just found myself constantly making things out of need. So I would work and then go home and start like on the computer, making like pamphlets, making activities for therapy, cutting, pasting, laminating, mm -hmm. like <laughs> it was nonstop. And also too, I was a newbie. So I was kind of building my inventory of like sure. therapy materials. I didn't have anything. I had a couple of things from like grad school, but I mean, it was just not enough for the students that I had. So I started making it all these activities. And then one day my department was hosting a professional development where we would host like monthly meetings and they grouped us into these like small little cohorts of like seven SLPs. And we would meet monthly to just talk about like best practices and research. And we would have to like answer questions and submit that. And so one day it was my turn to host our monthly meeting and I hosted it at my school. And so you, as an SLP, you're kind of lonely. A lot of the times, like you're the, usually here, like the school setting, you're like the only SLP at that school. So you don't really get to talk to other SLPs. Like you'll have like physical therapists, occupational therapists working at your school, but it's like people from your own department. It's like rare. Or if there is someone there at your school, you guys are on opposite schedules. Mm -hmm. So this was like a time where I could socialize and ask questions. And so I always like was looking forward to these monthly meetings. And so when I hosted it, we were done discussing our articles and our questions and everything. We finished our assignments and we had some downtime. So we started all talking and one of the SLPs had noticed uh, three huge baskets by my desk who, that were just stuffed with materials. And she had asked me, she's like, oh, can I browse through your therapy materials? Like, I, can I, I just want to like be able to see what you have. And so I was like, yeah, of course, you go ahead, browse through everything. And her and a couple others made their way to my desk. They were kind of going through my stuff. And then I started hearing like gasps of like excitement <laughs> and they were just like, where did you get all of these like Spanish materials from? 
And I just remember being like so humbled and just saying like, oh, I, I made them. And they were just like impressed. And one of the SLPs had told me, she was like, you should upload these on Teachers Pay Teachers. Mm-hmm. Like there are other bilingual SLPs that would greatly benefit from these materials. And so I looked into Teachers Pay Teachers. Like if you fast forward now, like I looked <laughs> into it and it was like, a huge project to try to upload everything I had made into this TPT website. But I looked into it and I started kind of going one thing by another and just kind of like slowly updating my stuff. And, and yeah, and then like, slowly but surely people started kind of noticing my materials, other bilingual therapists, other English speaking therapists who also might be working with diverse culturally and linguistically diverse populations. Mm -hmm. And so they would need stuff for their populations too. So that's kind of how it all kind of started. It's just kind of started growing slowly and slowly after the years. <laughs> and then at first it was very focused on therapeutic materials and that's all I was focused on. But slowly kind of that goal changed because as I was working with these families, that I also started kind of coming across a lot of the misconceptions about bilingualism, just simply through working with this population. I would get families that would ask me, like, should I be speaking in Spanish? Mm. Like, I'm not sure. Like, am I confusing my child? Like, you know, my child has a delay. Like, am I going to like hinder their progress? So I would get these questions a lot. Mm -hmm. And then also too, I would come across situations where I would, be in meetings and I would hear other unfortunate like this was super unfortunate but like I would hear other professionals give just incorrect advice about bilingualism Hmm. so there was a couple times where I was in meetings and I would hear someone else tell the parent make sure you only stick to English because that's the language that they're going to learn in school and you don't want to confuse them And I would hear these things. And of course I would advocate and say something. And a lot of the times it would turn into these like debates at the, at the table where it's like, well, no, this is what I've heard. And then I would come back and say, no, the the research says this. And then I just kept coming across so many situations like this. So it ended up getting to the point where I started advocating more about bilingualism and the positive effects of bilingualism and just how to embrace your heritage language and just the the overall mission of like bilingual speech, you just completely shifted, it completely changed. And it was based on those experiences that I was coming across in my work environment. Yeah, yeah, that is phenomenal. And, and like I said, I've seen you thrive through your platform. And, and now as a parent, it is so applicable to me, and I'm sure to many mommies and and parents out there. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, one of my questions was like, to whom is bilingual speechy targeted for? So at first, it was just SLPs. (laughs) And then like I said, then it's sort of evolved to like, parents and families uh, and SLPs seeking information. And now ever since I had ITSA, now it's like bilingual families, multilingual yeah. families, like all families, educators and SLPs. So I think it definitely has grown over the years and just like my mission has evolved too. So I'm really happy that I've been able to just kind of grow it that way and share these resources and that 
information with just a large community of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the great things is that you're breaking those myths that oftentimes we even grew up with, right? About mm -hmm. certain speech delays or, oh, are there positives in, in raising a bilingual child? And I think that you debunk those, which I'm really glad because oftentimes in our community, we kind of have this notion of kind of like colonization, right? About like, okay, now that we are in this country, right, we should assimilate and we should kind of divert to the language that is the predominant language. But now I feel like, especially in this kind of era, I feel like bilingualism is embraced a lot. And I really appreciate you sharing all of the resources that are out there on your platform, just because you literally are speaking on behalf of not just like how awesome it is to raise a bilingual child, but also you bringing it as as an educator and as a professional and and just kind of, yeah, debunking all of those myths that oftentimes we grew up with. Thank and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so as far as with the type of resources that are offered through bilingual speechy, what are ways that parents can kind of gather out of your platform in addition to what is shared, but are there tangible resources that are out there for them? Yes, of course. So on my website, I have several resources for parents. There's one in particular called a parent's guide to bilingualism. So if they just go on my website at bilingualspeechy.com and they search up that resource, like that's a good pamphlet to be able to read through. It has all sorts of like facts driven by like research. And there, it also has like activities and suggestions for like podcasts and things like that. So I highly recommend looking into that. But other than that, I also have a parent blog. So every month I try to come up with like different topics for parents that they can either read more on bilingualism or raising a bilingual child. So um, there's a couple articles on there too that they could look into as well. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think that that is so important just so that parents can be a part of this educational process as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of value with that. So now we're going to shift gear for kind of questions that I want to know more about you now as a mommy. And so how are you applying your expertise as a mother raising a bilingual child? Oh, it's, I'm, I, I, man, I don't even know where to start with that question. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, I would mm. say, because a blessing because I know so much about just child development, communication, but a curse because it makes me so paranoid all the time. And it's hard not to like be in that mentality, but and I try not to because it's it's like the same things that I tell other parents, like, don't compare your child to others and every child develops on their own pace. And I'm like, I know these things and I say them to myself constantly, but it's different when you're in the shoes. So it's been amazing because like everything that I've learned in books, I could finally see for myself at home. And it's been just like, I love watching Itza, like learn new words and new concepts like yeah. lately he's able to well, as of lately he's able to identify body parts and for me I was just like oh my god like he gets <laughs> it like he can show me like his stomach and his yeah. eyes like it's like little things like that where I'm just like wow like 
he's learning and I just think it's so cool um so it's cool because like I have it in like in my mind just outline what he's obviously supposed to do by like certain ages or whatever what to expect at least I wouldn't I, I should change that not what he should do but what to kind of almost expect sure. but yeah it's 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 like I have that in, in mind and then I'm just kind of like waiting for it I'm just like oh my god is he like how many words does he have now and like am I providing enough exposure am I talking enough and and like I said it's it's nice but I, I could kind of get annoying like with my with my husband <laughs> I remember when he was a lot younger and he was like months old and we would like take turns like changing his diaper and of course the SLP in me is like make sure you're talking about your routine and make sure you're like you're talking about what you're doing so that they're mm -hmm. listening to you and mm -hmm. And so I would do that. I'd be like, oh, te voy a cambiar el pan, pero okay, vamos a ponerte tu blusa o tu camisa. And, and then when my husband would do it, he would just be silent. Oh my gosh, <laughs> my then, husband does that too. <laughs> and then I would be like, hey, make sure you're talking to him. <laughs> so it's like things like that. When yes. I mean like it's a curse, but I mean, it's, it's funny. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And so what are kind of like recommendations that you have for parents or parents to be mommies, mommies to be raising a bilingual child, but also kind of in, kind of based on your lens, right, as an mm -hmm. SLP, like what are some recommendations that you have for them as we expose children into mm -hmm. all these different words and communication styles and, and so forth? Mm -hmm. and parenting styles too True. So I would I would say to the first tip to like start off if you are a family or you're thinking of starting a family and you want to go the bilingual route or just expose your child to another language number one step is to develop or talk about your goals mm -hmm. your bilingual parenting goals and basically just kind of like talk about like what do you want that to look like in your household because I'll be honest bilingual parenting is it's hard it's hard work at least mm -hmm. for for me who's bilingual where I would say English is more so my dominant language mm -hmm. and for me talking or speaking in Spanish requires more of an effort I mean Spanish was my native language but with all of the exposure I've throughout the years with like growing up with peers in English, going to school in English, English is still right. kind of more so my dominant language. So it's, it's hard work. And I would say, talk to your partner about what you want that to look like. There are different, different bilingual parenting approaches that you can take. There's like minority language at home. And that's where you speak maybe just your heritage, heritage language at home. So that might, for example, might be Spanish or whatever other language language that might be. But let's say you just want to focus on doing that. There's also mixed languages. Maybe you want to do both at, in your household. Mm -hmm. There's also time and context. context. So maybe uh, your child receives exposure to that language in another environment or during a certain time period. Maybe there's only a time period in your routine where you're only speaking that language. So it's, it could look so different for everyone. So I would say like, sit down and kind of talk about like what that might look like first in your household. And also talk about your 
end goals? Like, what are you trying to achieve for your child? Do you just maybe want them to just be exposed to another language just so that they know it? Or is it something that's maybe important for you for other reasons? Maybe you want your child to be able to communicate with grandparents. I know for us, it was very important for my husband and I that Ita can communicate with his grandparents because mm-hmm. they are predominantly Spanish speaking. I mean, they, they don't speak English. So for us, that was kind of like the motivation and just kind of like the importance for us. So mm-hmm. for us, we sat down and this was when I think I was pregnant and I was just like, okay, like, what are we going to do at home? Are we just going to speak in Spanish or what is that going to look like? And then also to like, be ready for changes. Because you might say that you're going to do something and then (laughs) it turns out that your dynamic's actually different. And that's okay because bilingualism isn't perfect. It's a a plan, a goal might not be perfect. So just kind of be ready for that to change too. I know for us, we had said initially, we're like, you know what? We're going to do minority language at home. We're only going to speak Spanish all the time, 110%. (laughs) And yeah, and like... (laughs) My husband and I, we're both bilingual. Yeah. My first language was Spanish growing up. And then I learned English in school. And then same thing with my husband. But it's kind of like the same story. It's like we're in school. It's mostly English. And we went to school and just English kind of started being our stronger language. So like with my husband and I, when we speak to one another, it's Spanglish. But I would still say a little more like English heavy. And so we're really good about speaking to Itza in Spanish only, mm-hmm. like, but then when we talk to one another, it changes. Yeah, it's um, like a complete shift. <laughs> yeah, so that whole bilingual parenting approach of minority language only doesn't really work out that well for us. For us, I would say it's more of a mixed languages mm-hmm. in our household. Still, like, I would say like 70%. Spanish but mm-hmm. it's it's mixed and that's fine like I think I just came to a realization not too long ago that was like that's just kind of the reality of my dynamic of my right. proficiency and it's fine like I still know that Lita will get exposure to Spanish through his grandparents through other environments and then and then also too like talking to your partner about what might that look like in the future or like what what that end goal is. So like for us, I had said speaking with grandparents is important, Mm -hmm. but what else might you want? Like, do you want your child to be super like completely fluent? Do you want your child to read? Do you want your child to write in that language? Like Mm -hmm. these are all kind of things that you also want to discuss. So like, for example, for us, I, for me, it's important that Lisa can read in Spanish and write in Spanish and have also that academic language. So like we had talked about like you know, dual language schools, like in the future. So these are all kind of the things that I would recommend to families to just kind of sit down and talk about, like, will schooling be important? And it's okay if it's not, like, maybe that's not your end goal. Maybe you just, like I said, you just want them to have a simple conversation in that language. And that's okay. Everyone's goals will be completely different. Exactly. Yeah, I do hear from many moms and specifically my sister who her kids, they are bilingual, but they don't want to speak it, but they understand it. 
And it's funny, I caught my niece the other day, she was speaking to my son D in in Spanish, and she doesn't speak a lick of Spanish at home or even in front of my parents who are Spanish speakers as well. And it's like, huh, like, it's funny, because we only speak to D like in Spanish exclusively for the most part. And it's funny how even my niece is picking up on that language too, you know, and she's <laughs> like awesome. communicating with that. Yeah. And so like, I always say they will never lose their heritage language. But if you do want to be intentional of keeping up with the language, right, if you want them to to speak it, write it, read it, to be extremely fluent in it, I mean, obviously, there are specific methods involved. But in general, you don't lose the language overnight. And and as long as there's like some little bit of exposure, I think that that counts and that matters. You don't have to raise the perfect bilingual child, whether if it's there's perfect in English or Spanish. Yeah. And then and then it's just and it's simply too like it's there is no such thing as the perfect right. bilingual child. No it's really rare that you'll come across a person that speaks let's say two languages and they're like equally people's proficiencies in their language shift and change depending on the exposure the how often they're using it how often they're speaking it and and it it fluctuates over time like let's say for example right now like I had said I'm more let's say English dominant but let's say I moved to a country where they only speak Spanish let's say I moved to Mexico and now I'm speaking Spanish a hundred percent of the day like my proficiency would probably fluctuate and that's normal and we can expect the same with like our children if you're providing consistent exposure and opportunities to communicate in that language then they'll become a little bit more fluent and stronger and their vocabulary will grow. But if you kind of start taking that away or maybe not keeping up with that exposure, then we can see that their proficiency might fluctuate and they might not speak it as fluently. Or in those cases, they might not want to speak it because Mm -hmm. now they know that they're not as fluent in it and they can't get their ideas across as fast Mm -hmm. and as easy as they could, let's say in in English. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And thank you for validating that again, because I'm talking to the professional here and the (laughs) expert. But yeah, I know that you shared a couple of recommendations. But in general, not just specifically to raising a bilingual child. And this is these are going to be two questions that I ask my folks that are interviewing with me. But what is one tip of advice you have for a Latina mom? I would say don't be afraid to ask questions and get second opinions and to trust your gut. And and I only say this because if we're focusing on kind of Latinas, Latinas, Latinx, but community, this group of people tend to view a lot of the times like healthcare providers as like an authority figure. Mm-hmm. And, and I and I kind of see this too, like, from my experience, working in the school setting, working with Latino families, Spanish speaking families, a lot of the times when I'm explaining, like, let's say results or recommendations, they won't ask questions. But I mean, I understand a lot of times because they see kind of these professionals, these people like doctors, police officers, like even teachers as like authoritative figures. So they don't question Mm -hmm. 
their recommendations and like and there's research on this too like if you if you like look it up on just like what how culture like impacts like people's beliefs and just the the, what they just kind of like think about certain things and stuff and I would say like if you are a new mom and you're, you're constantly going to these like doctor visits I would just say like write down your questions and just ask ask mm-hmm. ask questions because as a new mom like you just have like there's so many things that you're constantly learning and like for me I would always have like a list of questions <laughs> I would go talk to the doctor and sometimes I would even like make appointments just to ask these questions because mm-hmm. I just didn't know a lot of the the, the things about like taking care of a baby and what to expect and things like that and so like if you are new to being a mom and even if you're not ask questions get second opinions whether that is for speech or for with your pediatrician or whatever Mm -hmm. healthcare provider that you are seeking and trust your gut so if something doesn't feel right it's probably because it's not right and you know get it checked out yes Oh, Mm -hmm. that is such a great advice. I yes, I completely agree. So thank you so much. And second question is, what is the meaning of motherhood to you? Uh, This question's hard. I would say motherhood is a chapter and an emotional journey in a if like if we're talking about motherhood in a Latina mother's life, Mm -hmm. where she learns to embrace and encompass and sometimes deal with the challenges that come with being a mother and taking care of, of a human being that solely depends on you to survive, but also to just about learning about the and experiencing the challenges that motherhood comes with, which are physical, stressful, joyous, and beautiful, and all at the same time. And, and I think motherhood's very different than motherhood because if we're talking about motherhood then it's also to living the cultural values that you have that have been passed down to you from like your own ethnic background and how that influences um your parenting style too yes so that's I know it's like I feel like it was a a bunch of gibberish no no but that that (laughs) is your definition it's it's hard yeah 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 I think you know there's there's no right or wrong answer right Right, and And I think it's so complex, like Mm -hmm. just motherhood, motherhood. It's so complex and something that you just almost can't even prepare for. Like being a new mom, like I never expected all of these challenges. I had no idea. I didn't know about how tired I would be all the time. (laughs) And yet like happy because I'm growing my family and like I'm seeing my child flourish and develop well and I, I don't know. It's, it's all these mix of emotions. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It's complex. And, and yeah. 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 So where can listeners find you? You can definitely find me on Instagram at bilingual speechy. And also to if you subscribe to my blog at bilingual speechy.com, you'll I'll keep you updated on like the latest on bilingualism and research and parenting. So if you're definitely interested in all of that, definitely join my community over at my blog too. 
Great, great. And I will make sure to share additional links and information about you in the show notes. But Liliana, thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with us and to share a little bit more about you, your story and and where you're at as far as with bilingual speechy and your profession. It's it's amazing and obviously it is much needed, right? I think that just speaking up about raising bilingual children and validating their experiences, but also ensuring that there is professional help and, and support out there for parents to look at as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on here. It was such a pleasure to chat with you as well. So thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Viva La Mami podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review and write what episode really resonated with you. If you really loved it, share it on social media or with an amiga. As always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. Make sure to follow me at Viva La Mami on Instagram or visit VivaLaMami.com. Please note the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be replaced by your healthcare provider nor taken as professional advice.